now with the latest from the world of technology. This is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading once again. Tech Guide. Well, without a doubt, the biggest tech story of the week. Tech Guide. It's a very competitive market, the smartphone market. Keeping you updated and educated. This is a device that combines a tablet, a laptop, and a sketch pad. This is the Tech Guide Podcast. This is the future. Wireless earphones. Tech Guide. What you see is what you get. Quality is obvious. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 251. You're listening to the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news and reviews. Thanks for listening and thanks for downloading. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. First time listeners, welcome aboard. We hope you enjoy the show. On this week's show, it's been a big week in drones and we're going to talk about new products and drone safety has also been brought into the spotlight iPhone 8. It's months away from being released, but cases are already appearing. And Samsung releases its new MU series of small 4K smart TVs. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to take a look at the Huawei P10 and P10 Plus smartphones with excellent cameras on board, I should add. The Ultimate Lightning McQueen from Sphero and Microsoft updates the Surface Pro. And we're going to wrap things up as we usually do with the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, Australia's number one brand of home Wi-Fi products and also with support from Norton, the company to help keep you and your family safe online. A packed show for you, so let's jump straight in. Well, I can't recall a week where there was more news and products and updates in the drone world than there was in this past week. We're going to talk about in this segment a new drone from DJI, new software from DJI, and also safety regulations and their discussion in Parliament and also a new app from CASA, the regulatory body as well. But let's kick off first of all with... The new product from DJI, DJI is the world's biggest drone maker. They make the DJ Mavic, uh, Mavic Pro, the Phantom 4 Pro. Uh, they're the, the two popular drones already on the market. And DJI has come up with another. Uh, this is a mini drone. It's called Spark. There was plenty of rumors around this and a fair few leaks as well. So this isn't completely surprising. We knew this was coming. But we were still very surprised with uh, with the result. Uh, nevertheless, it's a, a, an incredibly small drone. Literally fits in the palm of your hand. That, that's how small it is. It still has, though, managed to fit most of the features that DJI has included in its larger drones as well, which is really impressive, really stable flight, intelligent flight control. It's got a two-axis mechanical gimbal. It's also got a 12-megapixel camera on board. But the features that are, that are being added to DJI Spark are gesture controls. Now, with, with this drone, you don't actually get a physical controller. You can control it all through the DJI app as well as these gestures. Now, this is meant to be a drone that's a bit more accessible for those who maybe not uh, experienced pilots and, and really uh, as dedicated to a drone and maybe not be an enthusiast. But this, this is attractive for someone who maybe does want to take the occasional picture, video, and selfies as well. There are There is a feature here that allows you to use the DJI Spark to take your selfies. A new feature, one of the new features is face-aware. 
So it uh, the, it knows it can lift off from your hand and then hover in place so that it can take your selfie or your group shot, however you want to go. You can use other gestures to, to take photos and also to bring it back to you as well. You can raise your arms or, or wave your hands to position uh, the Spark drone exactly where you want to shoot your photos as well. Also, it has palm control as well. So the drone can follow your hand movements and, and actually take off and land from the palm of your hand, which is pretty impressive too. There's also quick shots features. So rather than you having to do some pretty uh, steady maneuvering to get some shots Quick shot is a, a bit of a shortcut for the drone to do it itself. So you get this cinematic look with the, just a single tap for these commands. So you can do things like ascending shots, flying backwards and up and upwards. So you get a bit of a drony shot, circling around a person or object. So you're doing some orbits and flying upwards and around your subject. So these are preset maneuvers. So you don't have to do that for, with the controls. You can just set the drone to, to perform those flight paths and it'll shoot the video or pictures how you like. Battery-wise, you're talking about 16 minutes of flight time. It still has all the safety features on board the DJI, like return to home. So if you lose connection or you get into trouble, you can hit the return to home button. Or if it loses connection with your controller, your phone, then it will return to home as well. It's also uh, it's got GPS locked in as well, so really hovers in place really nicely too. So uh, if you have flown a DJI drone before, you'll be familiar with those features. If you're coming for the first time into the drone world with the DJI Spark, you'll notice uh, how easy it is to fly, how easy it is to get used to. It is pretty autonomous if you need. It just hovers in place really well, and with those gesture controls and presets, uh, it's going to be a breeze to fly this new drone. It's going to be available in a few colours too, alpine white, sky blue, meadow green, lava red, sunrise yellow. I love when they come up with those cool names for colours. There must be a whole department in these different companies to do that. Uh, it's going to be priced at $859, available from mid-June. So stay tuned to Tech Guide. We're going to have a full review in the coming weeks. But DJI weren't busy just releasing product. They also released a software update. So this uh, is the software that runs on all drones, the Mavic Pro, the Phantom 4 Pro. And what it is, it's basically a new activation process. So international customers, including us here in Australia, uh, you, do, you need to run this update and also uh, activate your software so that you know, the, the, the drone would know exactly where you're flying so it's got correct geospatial information. So it's more accurate when you decide, well, this is the place I'm going to fly my drone. The software through the GPS information is aware of exactly where you're trying to do it. So, for example, it's, this, this software is designed for you to not to fly your drone where it's not supposed to. So if, you, if you're beside the airport, for example, that's obviously a, an NFZ, which stands for No Fly Zone. This software will prevent your drone from even taking off. It might take off and hover about three feet and then just can't automatically land. So you can now be told whether you're in a no-go zone. The software will know. It'll know where you are. It'll know how far you are from airports and other, other restricted areas. So it can help you or will almost force you not to fly somewhere where you shouldn't. At the moment, you can take off, and, and if you want to go near the airport, you can, but with this, with this software update, it's going to be near impossible to do that, which is, I think, really good news. While we're on the safety subject, this was something that was brought up in Parliament 
just a few days ago. It was in the Senate. They were discussing the safety regulations, the safety overview uh, that wasn't that was supposed to take place back in October, but we still had not got around to it. So the Senate had not got around to setting up uh, this new review, a safety review of drones. And uh, tempers flared in the Senate. Uh, it, one, it, there was plenty, plenty of words flying around, pretty fiery too. One, one backbencher, uh, Barry O'Sullivan, even suggested at one point that the sale of drones should be banned or frozen until these, these new safety regulations were in place or the review of the safety regulations were in place. CASA was represented by acting boss Shane Carmody, and he insisted that the, the current rules, the rules that exist right now, are adequate. Uh, I think uh, Mr. O'Sullivan were, was saying, well, what, we're going to see a drone hit a plane, and then, then how, we gonna, how are you going to like that? But uh, the, the, the CASA acting boss said, well, we already have regulations in place. There's nothing more we can do. But it got even worse from there. And another another uh, backbencher chimed in. He's a coalition backbencher, Chris Back. Uh, he also said he speculated that what's to stop a terrorist using a drone to deliver a bomb? Well, the same thing that's stopping a terrorist deliver a bomb with a car or with any other vehicle. Uh, the same thing. So I think there was a some hysterics in the, in the Senate. And CASA has been, in my opinion, very proactive in informing pilots on the laws, the rules, making sure everyone is aware. And to prove that, ironically, just two days after that fiery exchange in the Senate, CASA actually released their own safety app. This is a, it's called Can I Fly Here? And it was released by CASA. So CASA is the governing body. CASA is short for Civil Aviation Safety Authority. They re- released a an app called Can I Fly Here, free for iPhone and Android users, and created actually with drone software company Drone Complier. So uh, it identifies your location and tells you whether you're in a no-fly zone, simple as that. So if no-fly zones are shaded red, so if you're near the airport, within five and a half kilometres of the airport, you're in the red zone. Uh, there are fly-with-caution zones, which are shaded orange. And in these different zones, you may be allowed to fly, but you've got to be restricted to, say, 90 metres, or uh, you need to ask for permission. Or there are restricted areas, too, where you just cannot fly, like, for example, near the Harbour Bridge and over the harbour. So these various areas where... You may think you, you can fly there, but take a look in the app. It'll locate you and tell you if that's the place where you want to fly, or you can enter an address into the app. And so you, it can tell you where you might, you might be on, a, on your way to a location to fly a drone, and you can enter the app into, into the address into the app, and it will tell you whether or not you can fly there. So you, before you even get in the car, you can tell where you're. You can tell the app where you're going, and if it's in a no-fly zone, then don't bother getting there because you you won't be able to fly there. Well, if you do, you, you risk of a hefty fine, and also risk safety. The reason the no-fly zones are there, the red zones are there, is because is for safety reasons. That's the the most important aspect of drone flight is safety. I've done completed my drone license, my remote uh, pilot's license. Uh, my remote line of sight pilot's license with uh, UAV Air, which CASA approved. 
and I was surprised by how much you needed to know before you took to, before your drone takes off. You really need to know a lot about where you are, when you're flying, uh, of course the location, and all of this information you needed to know, how to read a chart, how to do all these things. And people who think, well, I can just fly the drone, well, they're in for a rude shock because you'll be surprised how uh, the, the, the airport no-fly zone extends out, of, out into central Sydney, even towards the CBD. It is uh, surprising the places you can't fly. So better, better safe than sorry. The Can I Fly Here app is free. Download it on your phone. If you do like flying your drone around, then check out where you can fly it safely. safely. Really, really important that you do that. If you want to read more about all of those stories, there's four of them that I've, I've gone through there. Uh, all of that information, if you'd like to read it, is at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Now, here's a really interesting story. I, I found this really interesting. Is the iPhone 8, which is still months away from release, whether it's even called the iPhone 8. It could be called the iPhone X. X is in 10, 10th anniversary, uh, iPhone Ultimate, whatever Apple's going to do. The next iPhone is still probably five months away. So we're talking... It's now uh, it's now late May, so June, July, August, September. We were talking maybe four and a half to five months before we see a new iPhone. And but that hasn't stopped the rumours. There's plenty of rumours about what the phone's going to look like, what it's going to do, what the camera's going to look like, how the lenses are arranged. All of this information has been flying around the internet. There was even like leaked design schematics and all this stuff. So there's a pretty solid. Uh, rumor mill circulating already. Now, some companies have taken that information, and these companies are case manufacturers, by the way, so they want to get the jump on the market. Some of these companies, these case manufacturers, are already producing cases. We're seeing them now. There is on on Alibaba, which is a, a Chinese trading site, they are already appearing. There was even a short video showing the iPhone 8 case, and this, the, there was even cases purchased by a Japanese website, Mac Atakara, and they were displayed in a, in a video, a short video, a series of images. And if if this is to be, if if this is the actual specs of the phone that the case was designed from, so the the specs they designed it to meet those specifications, it appears to be that the iPhone eight, whatever it's going to be called, the next iPhone is if you measure the size of it, it's actually going to be between the iPhone 7 and iPhone 7 Plus. So it's going to sit somewhere in the middle in terms of its dimension, so the the height and the width of the device. So that, to me, suggests that there's going to be a lot more room to fit a bigger screen in a smaller device. Apple, if, if, if this is true... If you look at the images on Tech Guide, you'll see that the iPhone 8 case is sitting between the 7 and a 7 Plus, and the iPhone 8 case is right in the middle in terms of size. If this proves to be the case, then Apple may just have one phone. They may have just the iPhone 8, which has a 5.5-inch screen, but that's not much bigger than the existing iPhone 7 and slightly smaller than the 7 Plus. So one model, bigger screen, not too big for the people who love the 7 and the same size screen for the people who love the 7 Plus. 
So that's really interesting. Check out those images. It's uh, it's it's. Uh, uh, interesting to see whether Apple is going to have just the iPhone 8. Will there be an 8 Plus or an 8 Special, an X, whatever it's going to be? This seems to be the most consistent rumor about what we can expect to see. And this case was designed to designed around those rumored specifications. One thing you'll notice too on the case is that it's got quite a large uh, area and a large opening for the camera. Now, on the iPhone 7 Plus, there are two lenses, and they actually, the, the space that in the new case, it was put on top of the iPhone 7 Plus's two lenses, and the two lenses are actually quite small in comparison. What, what I'm thinking is that the iPhone 7 with the single lens has a larger single lens, whereas the 7 Plus has two smaller lenses. This new model, let's call it the iPhone 8, may have two larger lenses, so two lenses like the one on the iPhone 7, rather than two smaller lenses that are found on the iPhone 7 Plus. If you take a look at these images compared to uh, the iPhone 7 Plus, you'll understand what I mean. One other thing they did is placed the iPhone 7 inside one of the cases. So the width was almost the same, but the device was a bit taller. So that leads us to believe that they're going to go down the same path as the Samsung Galaxy S8 with a narrower but taller screen just to fit a larger screen in that smaller space. If those rumors are true, then we're going to lose the home button. Home button's probably going to be relocated on the back with the Touch ID, and the whole, almost the entire front of the device will be a screen. Now, we, it's, it's not got due to go on sale, as we said, till late to September. But you never know, we may get a look at this device. I'll be at the Worldwide Developers Conference in San Jose in early June, June the 5th, uh, early June 6th Australian time. And I've got a feeling Apple may unveil, or the, not, maybe not the whole iPhone, but maybe give us a hint, give the developers, more importantly, the developers a hint at what we can expect. Because it's in Apple's best interest, while they've got the best developers in the world at their at this conference, to give them some sort of guidance so that the, by the time their apps hit the market, by the time the iPhone is released into the market in a few months' time, there will be, there will be plenty of apps to back it up if there is some sort of new hardware, new design possibilities there, new development possibilities there with the phone. So... Stay tuned to that. Uh, next week, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference. It's going to be streamed live on their website. If you want to get up at the early, uh, at 3 a.m. and watch this, uh, Sydney time, that's, that's 3 a.m. Sydney time for the Worldwide Developers Conference keynote. It's going to be broadcast on the Apple website. But if, if you want to just give uh, get a head start, you can already buy a case. Let's hope that the, the case specifications are accurate and will actually fit on the new iPhone. But it'd be a fun souvenir to have anyway if it didn't. You want to read more about that story and see those images of the cases? Check it out, techguide.com.au. Well, Samsung have just released their latest series of TVs. That's the MU series. Now, earlier this year, of course, Samsung released its flagship series, the QLED TVs. This MU series is the series that sits behind the QLED. So if your QLED is your your top of the line, the MUs are your near top of the line, more affordable 
and more accessible to more Australians and with various screen sizes as well. Now, the MU series are still 4K ultra-high definition. They also still have premium picture quality. HDR, which is short for high dynamic range, have 200 hertz motion refresh rates as well. So if you do like watching your sports and action movies, it's going to be pretty smooth. There's also on board, of course, being smart TVs, smart connectivity, and they don't look too bad on the eye either. So the design is pretty stylish as well. They also cater for our growing appetite for larger screen sizes. Samsung did some interesting research and found that the majority of customers, we're talking 63% of customers, are now looking for a screen bigger than 55 inches. 55 inches seems to me to be the current normal for a TV, but customers want more. They want a bigger screen. So we're looking at up to 82 inches is what the MU series are going to be offered at. Of course, there's 55 and 65, uh, 72, I think, is some. But there's also there's 75, 55, 65, 75, 82 are the sizes. So it does cater for all kinds of customers there. Uh, but it does also include uh, Samsung's latest technology. So uh, you're going to see a pretty impressive picture quality. Uh, you'll also have the smart TV smart hub, which means you can access uh, services like Netflix, of course, Stan, YouTube, and uh, the the picture quality I've already mentioned is well. If, if it's a Samsung TV, they've got plenty of heritage in this department, so you can expect to see excellent blacks and lovely color on that screen as well. The entire range is also going to be have Samsung's one remote control, which means that rather than you having a coffee table full of remotes to control all your sources and not necessarily all Samsung sources, uh, the one remote control will allow you to control multiple compatible devices. So rather than having a controller for your game console, your Blu-ray player, set-top box, you can have one remote control that can that can look after all of it. Uh, the, there's also a cable management system up the back there, uh, same similar thing to what we saw with the QLED, so you can manage the cables not only from the TV but also from your other sources as well. And the panel, uh, I mentioned the picture quality, it's got the 4K picture quality, uh, so you want to watch 4K discs, 4K Netflix, plenty of content for you to enjoy 4K. So that's four times the resolution of full HD. Another feature that I really like, that I'm very impressed with, is a feature called Smart Auto Detection. Now, this is in the QLEDs and also in the MU series. What this means is that when you connect a source to the TV, whether it might be a Blu-ray player, might be a gaming console, set-top box, whatever you're connecting... The TV will recognize it. It'll say, oh, you've connected a Blu-ray player and you've connected a gaming console. So now when you want to access a source, you don't have to think, well, is HDMI 1 the gaming console or the set-top box? Is HDMI 2? So rather than guessing what source is what, now you can just look at the name. You want to play the Blu-ray player? Press on the Blu-ray source, and it's right there. That, that Thanks to that smart auto detection, that's going to save you a lot of time and frustration. Uh, really uh, interested to see that one as well. Uh, it is a impressive series of televisions. We've listed all of the different model numbers. They are they a few model, uh, model ranges within the MU series, so we're starting down at the MU 6100 all the way up to the MU 9000. And the most expensive TV is the 40, is 4,699, which is 65-inch MU 9000. Uh, the cheapest TV, will that would have to be 
a 43-inch TV for $1,399. But all of them Ultra HD, uh, some flat, some curved. Uh, but as you, of course, as you pay more for your TV, uh, you do get those additional features. So like your motion refresh rate, you get all, all the premium features like the the uh, true black, uh, the true black picture quality, the ultra black screen technology, I should say, uh, that helps reduce screen glare and reflections in the bright those bright rooms. You get the uh, more updated version of HDR uh, and a thinner design with those more expensive TVs. But there's so many to choose from. There has to be something for everyone, and that's exactly what Samsung wanted to achieve with their new MU series of televisions. If you want to read more about them and even see those new TVs, check them out. Techguide.com.au Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. And they've introduced Orbi, which is the world's first tri-band Wi-Fi system. Orbi gives you reliable, secure, and fast Wi-Fi to every inch of your home. No more dead zones upstairs, no drop connections through walls, just better Wi-Fi everywhere. Orbi reaches up to 370 square meters through Wi-Fi barriers like walls, stairs, and doors. With a dedicated internet connection, Orbi helps prevent buffering while streaming your favorite movies and shows. No matter how many devices are connected, you have ultra-fast Wi-Fi speeds. The Orbi tri-band Wi-Fi system works with your existing modem to maximize the speed you're paying for. Orbi's sleek design and state-of-the-art technology steals the show. It gives your home a superior Wi-Fi network that's both easy to set up and elegant to display. With just a couple of clicks, your secure Wi-Fi network will be ready in no time. There are now three models in the Orbi range. There is three different price points. There is the top of the line, which obviously costs uh, $749, but there are two other entry-level versions of Orbi for maybe smaller homes that are a lot more affordable. If you want to find out more about that you can visit uh visit netgear.com.au or be better wi-fi everywhere tech guide. now a tech guide review with stephen fennick all right our first review is not one but two phones two phones from the same family the p10 and the P10 Plus. These are Huawei's smartphones. Now, they were released back in February at the Mobile World Congress, but they are finally on the market, and we got our hands on them. Now, the focus of these devices is the dual-lens camera system, which was created in partnership with a well-known photography brand, Leica. So uh, as I speculated in my story, it's probably fair to say this is a camera that makes a phone call rather than, a, rather than being a smartphone with a good camera. Uh, it is such a good camera system that you'll probably be thinking that yourself. Design-wise, the, the two devices, the P10 Plus has a 5.5-inch screen. P1 has a 5.1-inch screen. 5.1-inch screen on the P10 is full HD. The 5.5-inch screen on the P10 Plus is quad HD, so slightly higher resolution for that bigger screen. Uh, on the camera front, you do get a slightly better camera with the P10 Plus, better lenses and better, uh, uh, slightly better light at handling with that one as well. But apart from that, design-wise, they look identical. The, the dual-lens camera is located. Uh, it's, it's flush against the back panel. 
and it is located, the two lenses in the top left-hand corner in, inside a, a, a different colored bar on the back on the back of the device. One thing I've noted, that the, uh, the especially from the back of, of the phone, the Huawei P10 and P10 Plus, they look a lot like the iPhone. I took a photo of it next to the P10 next to an iPhone 7, and they are very, very similar in shape. And uh, and curves around the edges, so uh, they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, Huawei is flattering Apple right now, but still around the front and around the sides, there's still enough difference for, for it to be not identical to an iPhone. But from the back, I think people may mistake your Huawei P10 for an iPhone 7 or your P10 Plus for an iPhone 7 Plus. Just saying, that's my observation, and I'm not the only one who's made that observation with the design. Under the hood, you've got plenty of processing power with the Kirin 960 processor, so the device is really snappy. You're not going to be waiting for apps to open, switching between screens and apps. It happens instantly. So uh, really cool that Huawei's got that kind of performance. They've got ultra memory technology too, so it can compress your memory, maintain your phone's performance, so keep everything in order. It's also running Android 7.0 operating system as well as Huawei's EMUI, that's Emotion User Interface, which isn't too, it, it's a nice, thin, clean layer to Android, so it's not overpowering at all. Uh, it does give the phone a really easy menu system and an interface to navigate. Now to the camera which is the star of the show. And I've put up some pictures. I took a picture with my iPhone, an iPhone 7 Plus, as well as the P10 Plus as a side-by-side comparison. And you judge for yourself which is best. The Huawei P10 Plus performs admirably when compared to the iPhone. The camera has those two lenses. So one lens is a 12-megapixel color lens. The other is a 20-megapixel monochrome lens. And these combine to create the best picture possible. So one gets the color, the other gets the detail, and they come together to provide some pretty stunning shots. A lot of different modes. That's what I like about the phone. If you want to just stick with auto mode, it's a a set-and-forget uh, every photo you take in auto mode looks great. All the heavy lifting is done for you. But I know there are a lot of photographers who do like taking matters into their own hands and like a manual control, a simple sweep up on the in the camera and you'll see all your manual controls. So you can be controlling things like aperture and your shutter speed and all of this stuff if you like to do that. ISO, white balance, all the lot, you can do that in manual mode. There are also other modes to shoot, so 4K video, panorama shots, night shots, time-lapse, slow motion, so all of those options as well. One of our favorites was, in the regular camera operation, was wide aperture mode. This allows you to take those depth of field shots, they call it the bokeh effect, so subject in focus at the front, the background's blurred, or vice versa. But with the wide aperture mode, you can actually set the focus after you've taken the photo. So you can press in the photo and change it around so that the background is in focus and the foreground's blurred and vice versa. Uh, really handy option if you, the photo didn't quite turn out or you just want to see what it looks like if you swap it around. So uh, that's a pretty cool option there as well. Uh, what I like too, there's a self, the, the wide aperture mode is available when you're taking selfies. So if you're in portrait mode, uh, that wide aperture mode will also do that. So it'll keep you in focus in the foreground and blur out the background. So it gives it that depth shot. That's why it's called depth of field. Uh, looks really good. I'll put the images of, uh, of the selfie of me up there uh, it's with, with that effect. But 
In some cases, you'd want the background to be in focus, so you can turn that feature off if you want on the Huawei, on the P10 and the P10 Plus, so that you, the, the object in the background may be what you want to include as well, rather than just having an effect there. So you can turn that feature off if you don't want to have it on all the time, but uh, still looks great either way. The uh, low light shooting is really impressive as well, I've got to say. The P10, P10 Plus uh, really does well uh, in areas, in, in conditions where other cameras would struggle terribly. Uh, so overall, I reckon the Huawei, the P10, P10 Plus, if you're into your photography and want quality images, check out my review. I've put some images that I took with the phones compared to the iPhone. You judge that for yourself. And uh, the, it, this is, that's why I said earlier, is it a phone that makes, that's a, that's a good camera or is it a camera that can make phone calls? Uh, I'm, I'm split down the middle. The camera on this is phenomenal. So if you're really into your photography, you want a great camera as well as having a good smartphone, the P10 Plus can provide that. Now on the battery side, the P10 and P10 Plus have a 32 milliamp hour battery and 3750 milliamp hour battery respectively. Uh, we we gave them a pretty hard time. We, we worked them pretty hard, the devices for our review. And from a full charge in the morning, we easily got through to the evening and uh, and, and well into the night. So you, you, you're not going to have any issue of running out of battery during the day. So, uh, and even if you do, uh, if when it's time to charge, it's, there's fast charging on board, so it'll be no time before you're back at 100%. We're talking like about 80 minutes, 70 minutes, and you can be fully charged and ready to go. The P10, 899 P10 Plus, $1,099. And if you want to read our complete review and see those image comparisons, you can do that at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Now, we love our toys here at the te- at Tech Guide, and one this next product that we're going to talk about is a high-tech toy from our mates at Sphero. Sphero made the, the original circular robot. They also made a terrific version of little BB-8 from Star Wars, The Force Awakens. So they've got an amazing heritage of making really cool high-tech toys. Well, they've brought that a step further, and they've, they've brought that talent and technology to a Disney Pixar favourite, none other than Lightning McQueen from the Cars movies. Now, this is a car that's got a lot of personality. The screen is actually animated so that uh, the windscreen is, is actually a screen, so the eyes dance around. The bumper has an articulated mouth that moves when it talks, and there's also emotive suspension. So as in the movie... So it can lean up on one wheel, lean up on the other, lean to one side and give these amazing expressions, all combining the eyes, the mouth, the, the, the suspension. You do get every flavor of Lightning McQueen and the voice as well, supplied by Owen Wilson. So what Sparrow's done is remarkable. They've basically taken this character that, that only existed in a movie and made it real. And it is amazing to play with it's got so much there are so much things you can do rather than just driving the car around there's several different modes so if you want to do donuts and drifting you can do that which is is really fun uh there's also other things where you can create a little scene for lightning mcqueen to act out or you can play an internal uh, an in-app game called pit stop panic so many things you can do and the beauty of a product like this is that it's going to be upgradable 
And there's even a mode where you can sit and watch cars with Lightning McQueen. So when it sees itself, it reacts. Same thing they did when they did an update for BB-8. The BB-8 droid had that feature where if it watched itself on The Force Awakens, you could even watch Rogue One with it, which is the other Star Wars story. And this is going to have that same feature where Lightning McQueen, the ultimate Lightning McQueen, will be able to watch itself and react to itself to the movie anyway, to the Cars movie. Cars 3 is due out later this year, and this has been released to coincide with that. It's got more than 40 different phrases, a lot of expressions. It'll make you laugh. It'll really put a smile on your face. It is an amazing product that runs off an app and is, is brilliantly detailed. The car leans in the corners just like the movie. It is amazing. They've taken it from a film and made it real. Uh, the battery runs for about 40 minutes, which is pretty respectable. You've got a range of about 30, 30 metres, and it's, it's controlled all through an app, free for iOS and Android. But Lightning McQueen, as impressive as it is, it isn't cheap. It's $499. So that's a premium price for a premium product. This is a... a once you see this, once you get your hands on it, once you hear it and watch it and drive it, you'll think, wow, this is an impressive product. And it's a product that's going to be updated into the future. So there may be new features unveiled, and all it will take is a little software, firmware update for them to be brought on board. And it's a toy that's going to keep on giving. And I, I, I bet that there's going to be a lot of a lot of dads out there who'll buy this for themselves, uh, their child, if they they must be really, really special really well behaved to deserve a $499 toy uh, but I'm sure mum and dad will probably want to play with it as well that won't be by how to justify the 499 bucks. but it's available now to pre-order from EB Games and Zing stores I've created a link inside my story about where you can pre-order it and there's also a video you can watch where you can see Lightning the ultimate Lightning McQueen in action you want to check that out it's at techguide.com.au Microsoft are at it again. They've just updated the Surface Pro. Now, this happens to be the fifth time they've updated the Surface Pro. But funny enough, it's not called the Surface Pro 5. It's just called the Surface Pro. And they are calling this product a laptop. So it's a tablet device with a a, a keyboard that's purchased separately, I should add. Kickstand at the back so it can be, that's your laptop mode. Take off the keyboard, put back that kick kickstand and you can hold it in your hand like a tablet and so you've got the best of both worlds there laptop mode tablet mode but all the power you'll ever need it's got a full version of windows 10 running uh, it's pretty impressive under the hood you can spec it up from an m3 processor all the way through to an intel uh, core i7 processor you can also increase things like ram uh, up to 16 gig uh, also that the the, uh, the internal hard drive the solid state drive up to a terabyte Uh, So there are plenty of uh, options for you to mix and match and really spec up the device. Starts at uh, $1,119 and goes all the way up to $3,999 for the very, very top of the line model. It's got Windows 10 Pro on board. Solid state drive options, as I said, go from 128 gig to 1 terabyte. 12.3 inch pixel sense display, 2736 by 1826, 1824. That's the uh, display resolution. 13.5-hour battery life, so that can literally take you all day and into the next day. 
Wi-Fi, 802.11ac compatibility, of course, Bluetooth 4 technology as well. On the connectivity side, it's got a micro SB port uh, slot, USB 3 port. It's also got Surface Connect, a headphone jack, and a mini display port. Uh, also comes with the Surface Pen, but it's also compatible with the Surface Dial that was introduced with the Surface Studio, the large desktop computer that can actually fold down flat and be used like a giant tablet anyway. The Surface Pro, it's going to be available in mid-June. We're hearing June the 15th. Uh, so if you want to get uh, this the pre-orders going, you can do that through the Microsoft website. And the Surface Pro, one of those products that is a really a, a great efficiency tool, productivity tool, so you've got all the power of your computer wherever you want to go. So we, uh, if, if this and, and as it's an update to the Surface Pro 4, which was incredible. So this has got better battery life, uh, faster processor, so everything's been dialed up a notch. So the Surface Pro, let's call it Surface Pro 5, will be available June 15. And if you want to see it for yourself, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that helps keep you and your family safe online. There's lots of valuable stuff stored on your computer, family photos, videos, tax and work documents. But what would you do if all of a sudden it was gone, encrypted and impossible to retrieve? Well, that there, ladies and gentlemen, is called ransomware. That's a malware that locks you out of your own files, then demands that you pay up or lose access to them forever. And it is on the rise in Australia. In fact, Australia is now the most targeted country for ransomware attacks in the Southern Hemisphere. Norton Security Premium is a powerful internet security solution that can help keep you safe from ransomware, including the recent WannaCry ransomware, by blocking dangerous files, warning you against dodgy links before you click and backing up files from your PC to the cloud so you'll have a copy if anything goes awry. To learn more about how to protect your online life, visit au.norton.com. Now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Couple of quickies in the Tech Guide help desk. The first one, we had a question about backups. Now, uh, the question was, whenever I back up my system, does it back up everything every single time? So if I change things in the system or leave some things the same, does the backup know what to back up and what it needs to overwrite? Well, the answer to that is obviously yes, because the backup system is designed so that it's not and it doesn't have to back up your entire system every several times a day, every day. Because let's face it, people have got like terabytes of information, and it it would be impossible to change every single bit of that one terabyte. So the computer is smart enough to know that the parts of your backup that don't need to be changed aren't changed. It's only the, the things that have differed, that have changed slightly or added, that are included in the latest backup. So that's why a backup doesn't have to go from zero to full size uh, every single day, several times a day. It's only the bits that change are the bits that are changed in the latest version of the backup, if you can understand that. The other question I had was around the NBN, and a reader asked if his uh, Netgear modem router, which is NBN ready, why it wasn't working with their new Telstra NBN service. Now, uh, it's very hard to, without seeing the situation for myself and seeing the settings, it is uh, really hard to sort of solve this problem in, in 30 seconds, but... 
my suggestion to that reader was to make sure that the modem's firmware is upgraded. You can get into the back end of the uh, of the router through. If there's a browser, you can type in, uh, I think, 198 or 164. Uh, it's really easy. You can also do it through an app if, you, uh, if it's a Netgear uh, router as well, and you can update the firmware. So it'll go out and see if there's a new firmware version, and it will update it. That could solve that connectivity problem with the Telstra NBN service. Uh, if failing that, I'd, I'd let Telstra know because I'm probably sure that this customer would be the only person with this issue and they may have a solution themselves. But technically, it should work. Run that at firmware upgrade. That could solve the problem right there. Uh, we've written about all those issues too if you want to read more about them at techguide.com.au. And that's the end of our show for this week. You can read about everything that we've talked about at techguide.com.au. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at techguide.com.au. A special thanks, too, to our sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs. And also a shout-out to Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure having you with us. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. (laughs) 